Good morning, Life Church. Good to see everybody. Those of you watching online, thanks for watching. Thank you for taking time. We believe that time in God's house with God's people is never a waste. It's an investment for all of eternity. We believe when you leave today, you will be changed. And the reason being because the presence of the Lord has impacted your life. And uh, we're moving, aren't we, closer and closer to him uh, as we endeavor to have that vital relationship in the days that we live. If you're a first-time guest, we've got these nifty Connect cards sitting by you. And if you could fill that information out, bring it to Guest Central, that'd be cool. It's a way of uh, putting a face with a name and, and staying connected. And we sure would appreciate it. If you're watching online, you go to the church webpage, lifechurchmh.com. There's a link that you could put the information in. And uh, we would appreciate uh, you doing that for sure. So, it was good telling God how great he was and is, huh? Isn't that good? Man, what a privilege. So, hey, if, uh, if you're at home, pull up your, your notes uh, for today. Those of you that are here, you've got them nearby. Just a couple things. We're on day 15 of 21 for Transformed, and uh, it's been a great uh, two weeks so far. I've got to tell you that uh, just looking back for those four nights of prayer and worship, how cool it was to come together and um, sing to the Lord and pray to him and listen for his voice. And what a privilege that was. Once again, if you need a Bible reading plan, uh, they're in the foyer. We encourage you to to. Uh, to find a plan that works for you and stay on track with it, and you won't be disappointed. Today also is the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's the International Day all around the world. Um, and as you can see in your outline there, every child is a gift from God, and you may be here today, and maybe you had a dad or a mom that talked down to you and expressed disappointment in you and wished you were somebody else and you, uh, you were, you've been a failure to them as a parent. Well, um, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's, it's a good family tree and your loving Heavenly Father um, knitted you together on purpose. As Psalm 139, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together. In my mother's womb, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. And your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Ladies, it's possible you were here today and you've had an abortion. It's very possible. And you need to know that your loving Heavenly Father, when you go to him with that, and ask him to forgive you, he will forgive you. There's healing. There's grace. We know ladies here that have done that. Um, before they put their faith in Christ, they carried a weight, uh, guilt, 
and maybe felt like God would never love them. But friends, it is so, that's a lie. When we come into the presence of the Lord, every sin in the world that's ever been committed or will ever be committed was covered by the blood of Jesus when he went on the cross. And I'm telling you, there is healing for you. And I encourage you to, to go to Christ. You know, beginning of the year and the tail end of last year, we talked about the suitcase where we just throw stuff in. And you may, as a lady, you may have just thrown it in the suitcase and say, I'm, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to forget about it, try to forget about it. But we know that suitcase goes wherever we go. And man, the Lord wants to forgive you and he wants to restore you into a relationship with him. And you'll never regret it. And so your life matters. There's a tremendous value on you in the eyes of God. So we're grateful for that. Next Sunday, we celebrate communion coming off, coming off a transform. So that's always a good time. Chris Carrier was 10 years old, outside playing, and a stranger pulled up and approached him, uh, telling Chris that he was his dad's friend. And because he was his dad's friend, he needed Chris's help to pick out a Christmas present for him. And uh, he invited Chris to come into his motor home, uh, intending to take him to the store shopping. But that wasn't what happened. A short time later, the man pulled, out, pulled the vehicle into a field and stabbed Chris in the back of his neck. And from there, he drove down a dirt road, shot Chris in the left temple and dumped him by the side of the road in the alligator-infested Florida Everglades. And for six days, Chris was in and out of consciousness until he was found by a passing motorist. Miraculously, he survived his injuries, but he lost the ability to see out of his left eye. Police were never able to identify or find the attacker. And so Chris, think of that as a 10-year-old, lived in fear for the next three years. You can imagine that. Afraid. Living in fear. Fortunately for Chris, he attended a church event where the gospel of Jesus Christ was presented. And it was there that he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he allowed uh, the Lord to forgive him, transform him. He grew in his faith, and uh, over time he decided that he wanted to go into full-time ministry. He wanted to do that to help others find the joy that he found in living and the healing that he found in Jesus Christ. Many years later, uh, Chris married, had a family, and uh, a detective contacted Chris saying that an elderly man had confessed to that brutal crime. And the reason was, he said to the police, that he had a grudge against Chris's father, and he took out his anger against Chris, 
as a way of hurting Chris's father. What did Chris do? What would you do? Chris's joy for living with Christ was put on the line, wasn't it? It was decision time. This is where life gets gritty. This is where our faith gets tested. And some of you are going through that right now. Your faith is being tested. Well, he chose to keep joy flowing in his faith, in his life. And he visited the 75-year-old man who was now broken and weak in a nursing home. At first, the man denied, you know, the crime and uh, uh, kind of pushed back at Chris. But eventually, he apologized to Chris for what he had done. Chris went on to tell about his faith in Christ, the difference that Jesus made, allowing him to forgive this man. Uh, instead of choosing a life of bitterness and hatred toward the, this man that had hurt him so badly, he chose to do quite the opposite, to honor Christ, to be a joy carrier. Well, Chris's family began making almost daily visits to the nursing home, sharing the love of Jesus with this man day after day, day after day. And finally, one Sunday after church, Chris's attacker placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ and experienced his forgiveness. In a few days, he died peacefully in his sleep. Think about that. The grace of God. Hmm? The grace of God. I'll tell you, man, I've, I've experienced the grace of God, and it's overwhelming at times. Uh, the longer you live for Jesus and you experience that grace, sometimes it just, it takes your breath away. Man, God, you are so good. And, and we did sing about that this morning. The cool thing about Chris is that he's an example how one man overcame evil around him. And that's where you and I come in. We need to do that very thing as well. We know evil is all around us. We don't become paranoid. We don't freak out. We don't bury ourselves underground. Instead, we come out into the light and extend the grace of God to the people that want to hurt us and have hurt us. And therefore, we can continue experiencing the joy of the Lord. Instead of allowing this man to cripple him for life, Chris instead allowed the love of Jesus to heal him and then share it with his attacker. An incredible story. And the result we know is the joy-filled life that honors Christ. So today we continue in our uh, living in the freedom of joy, Philippians Unchanged, the joy project. Let's once again go to the book of Philippians. Your, your outline have has the they have the verses right there so but uh, once again we encourage you to open your bible and mark it up verse 1 chapter 1 this letter is from Paul and Timothy slaves of Christ Jesus i am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus including the church leaders and deacons and may God our father and the lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace like he did to Chris Carrier yeah. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God 
That's just to notify you that that was a good verse. <laughs> you could say yo to that, right? <laughs> Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Notice Paul doesn't say if Christ Jesus returns. He says when Christ Jesus returns. My wife asked me recently, she's right there. <laughs> Do you think we're in the tribulation? I think we could kind of hit the pause button and when you look at what's going on in our world today, I don't know about you, I have never seen a world like ours change so rapidly. And I said, I don't know. But I can tell you this, we're a day closer to the coming of the Lord. I do know that. And so that's what I major on. The Lord, like Paul says, uh, when the Lord returns. And I am grateful for that. And let's talk to him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege we have to carry your word with us, Lord. And today as we uh, gather together under the great name of Jesus, the banner of Jesus Christ, the waving over us, what security we have in you, Lord. And as we heard about Chris Carrier and the choices he made, nobody forced him to make those choices. He did it by his own free will, which brings it to us. We get to make choices on our free will too. We can go south or we can go north. And even today, it might be decision time for some folks watching, listening. So we pray, Spirit of God, to do a good work in all of us. Yes, Lord, you're doing a good work, and we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, we see Paul being maligned and beaten, imprisoned. This is, um, he is under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard in Rome, and uh, he's allowed to have visitors come and go. But think about it. You're chained to a Roman guard. You're not going anywhere, are you? Can't go to Quick Trip. No, can't do that. So you're stuck. You're stuck. You're not going anywhere. Paul doesn't seem to be, have a problem with that. It seems to me wherever he, whatever position in life he's in, he's good with it. He's, uh, he's put a check by, I am content. Why? Because wherever he goes, he knows Christ is with him. That's what he knows. And he's good with that. I don't know where you're going, where you've been. You may feel like God's abandoned you, but I'll tell you quite frankly, that's not what the Bible says. He says, I will never abandon you. I will never leave you. That's a promise. And he promises to walk through every 
crises, every trial, every test with you. And I'm grateful for that too. So Paul writes this letter to the, the church that he founded in Philippi, the first church in Europe. And I think we could all say, yeah, man, thank you, Paul, for doing that because the church grew throughout Europe. And of course, ultimately, the gospel was brought to America, which is good news for you and me. And I'm grateful for that too. So um, we see that Paul, uh, throughout his example in, in, these, in this letter to the church at Philippi, um, he keeps his joy through it all. It's a great example, I think, for all of us living in 2021. In a Nazi death camp, an Austrian psychiatrist named Viktor Frankl was stripped of possessions and even his name. He was given a number, like all prisoners were. His mother, brother, and wife would not survive the death camp. And so Victor realized that he had a choice to make, just like Chris, carrier, decision time. Am I going to be angry, bitter, ticked off for the rest of my life, or am I going to allow this to make me a better person? Well, after his liberation, Victor wrote the book Man's Search for Meeting, and in it he reveals how and what kept him alive. He said everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. And so you and I, we get to choose how we're going to respond to life's circumstances, just like Paul. And Paul kept his eyes on Christ through it all. There's no situation in which your ability to respond can be taken away from you. You may not control your circumstances. I think we would all agree with that, right? We can't do that, but we can control our reactions to them, just like Paul. And so faith is letting God get between you and your circumstances and using them for his honor and glory. So just coming off last week, real quick, Galatians 5 22, 23, the fruit of the Spirit, we're promised this, that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, and you can go on. But joy, it's the Holy Spirit that produces that character in us. You can't manufacture it. Can't do it. Psalm 1611, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and pleasures of living with you forever. In Nehemiah 8.10, don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So we say, that's true. <laughs> that's true. We'll take it. We'll take it. Number one in your notes, we hit it last week. This is just a quick summary. Joy remembers the good. Joy remembers the good. Written this Paul's writing this in 61 A.D., and um, this is during his second missionary journey. Uh, when he planted the church at Philippi, uh, 10 years later, now he's, in, uh, he's under house arrest in Rome. So he's writing the church from the previous 10 years, but he's thinking good things about him. Pretty cool. And he's awaiting trial before Caesar. And 
that's another reason to be ticked off, so to speak, but Paul doesn't seem to, it doesn't bother him. He's going to have an audience with Caesar, and he's looking at it as an opportunity to communicate his faith in Jesus Christ. Just another opportunity. So some of the cool things we walk through this, uh, we kind of hit that Paul did remember the good. Uh, in Acts 16, it, it gives us a little backdrop to the church in Philippi. And Paul and Silas were thrown into a, into a, a, a dungeon and they had been whipped and they were in shackles in the inner dungeon so that they could not escape. And at midnight, Paul's alarm went off on his watch and he said, hey, Silas, wake up, man. We're going we're gonna to have a worship service right here in this inner dungeon. You know, instead of feeling, where is God, man? You know, we've been in Philippi telling people about Christ and what, what's our reward? We get thrown into an inner dungeon. He doesn't go down that road. He realizes he's in the inner dungeon and so is Jesus with him. And so they decided sing how great God is. <laughs> oh man, that is good. And Paul remembers the good, the people, the relationships that he had with this church not his experience down in that dungeon. Well, God did some pretty cool things down there, but we'll, we'll press on. But notice Paul says that this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of uh, Christ Jesus. And that's an interesting word, uh, slaves. That's doulos. That means um, you're a bond slave. You're, you're connected to your master. There's, there's no way of getting away from your master. Paul's using it as a positive thing, that Jesus is his master. He has signed off on everything in life. The only thing that matters to him is his relationship with Christ. And he's boasting about it. Now, if you were in the Jewish culture and somebody said, you're a doulos, that, that, oh man, that would really tick you off. That, that was a low word, man. That would hit you below the knees, you know? It would take your knees out, take your legs out. Well, Paul's kind of bragging about it here. It's all about Christ. And then he says, so he's talking about he and Timothy, that we're slaves of Christ. And then he says, I'm writing to all of God's holy people. He's talking to you and to me. We are considered God's holy people. That means we have been set apart for God to use. In other words, it's not what I want with my life. It's what God wants for my life. I am being set apart. And some of you have some cool stuff in your house and you have, you have set it apart and you've put it up on a shelf because it's valuable to you. It's got some special memories. You know, you just don't leave it in the toy box somewhere to get destroyed. You've set it apart. That's exactly what Jesus has done to you. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he sets you apart from everybody else. And he's saying, you are my special possession. And I want to use you for my honor. Think about that. Remember when you were growing up in grade school and there were teams during recess and 
and people would go down the line and pick you or overlook you. And if you were one of the last ones picked, how did that make you feel? God has come along and he has put his finger in front of you, not to condemn you, but to say you are special. And I'm setting you apart for my use. So Paul's identifying he and Timothy are slaves, do losses to Christ. And he's saying to God's people, you are, you are, you are holy. You are set apart. You are, um, you say saints. <laughs> Some translations use that word saint. Now, I don't know about you, but saint sounds a little old fashioned. <laughs> I know Zach's got a saint shirt on back there. Uh, we're not talking about New Orleans, man. Talking about the kingdom of God, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you want to use the word saint, fine. Um, I kind of lean into God's holy people, and that's okay. And Paul says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Notice, here it is, Paul is giving us a tip on how to Keep joy flowing, resident in our lives. He is saying you need to cultivate thankfulness. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. You want to have a joy-filled life? Then always cultivate gratitude. Gratitude, be a thankful person. Express gratitude to the Lord. That's a good way, man. That's a good way to keep it balanced in our lives. And, um, and I, so I just want to encourage you, you know, hey, keep, keep joy on the front end and um, a way of doing that is staying thankful and, and grateful to the Lord. Number two, joy recognizes God is working in me. Man, that's a, this is cool. Verse six, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. We've already hit the when Christ Jesus returns. That's good, man. We celebrate that. But Paul, in the, the words that he's using, when I am certain, it's a verb tense that Paul chose specifically to show that he was confident and he was certain that when God starts something in you, he doesn't quit. He's confident of that, man. He is certain of it. And Paul is saying God is going to transform the lives of you Philippian believers. And it's all because of God. It's God's good work. That point of salvation and the point of sanctification that God keeps working on us until he comes back again. Romans 8.29, this is the goal that God has for us. Paul says to become like his son. There it is, to become like his son. That's good, to become like Jesus. Years ago, there was a, a chorus we would sing in church, to be like Jesus. Should I sing it? No, I won't. But <clears throat> it's pretty easy, actually. But to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask to be like him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, all I ask to be like him. 
It's a good request, isn't it? And I remember um, back in the day when we had church on Sunday nights and, and the front of the church would be the altar. People would come up and they would kneel. Some would stand. Some would sit in the front row. And many times there would be music playing. And if you wanted to sing, you could. And that was one of those songs where you just would hang out with God, you know, on a Sunday night before your work week started. To be like Jesus, you would sing it. Yes, Lord. To be like him. So Paul says, I am certain that God who began that good work within you, um, instead of... (laughs) Instead of, you, you might have relationships with people where they just kind of rub you the wrong way, you know. You, you need to extend grace to them because this verse says that he will continue his work until it's finally finished. Maybe he's done with you, <laughs> you think, but he's still working on that person that is irritating you so much. Extend grace. Yeah. Anybody can be a critic, right? That's easy. Man, there's, a, there's plenty of them. Uh, let, let's, let's, let's start that club, right? Let's, let's stay on the joy side, the, the grace-filled side. And, um, and we see that God takes the initiative. Here's the good news. It's God who began that good work. You know, I don't have to try and work it up, you know, work harder and, you know, you, you exert so much energy. It's God working in me. So... He's going to continue that until it's done. And he, look at it's God who guarantees the outcome. He's going to continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Oh, man, I'm so grateful. And you've heard me say this a lot, but there is something cool knowing that the, the creator of this universe, the one who created You and me, when he is actively involved working in my life, your life, and you see his hand working in and through you, it does something to you, man. It it energizes you. Lord, I want you to keep on doing it, man. I need you to keep on working in and through me. But you know what? There are people that are jumping off the rails because they don't think God is doing the things in their life the way they want him to. Or they want to live their lives the way they want to, not the way God wants. And so they jump off the rails and prevent God from working in their lives. But God's going to keep chipping away at us until we are conformed to Christ. In the year 1464, a sculptor named Agostinino di Duccio. I'm glad my mom didn't name me that, man. Oh, my word. <laughs> Began working on a huge piece of flawed marble, and, and he, he wanted to, to um, sculpture an Old Testament prophet for a, a cathedral in Florence, Italy. And he, he worked on it for two years, and then he quit. 
figured, man, I can't, I can't work with this. 1476, Antonio Rosalino started uh, to work on that same piece of marble. And in time, he gave up. He said, man, this is hopeless. And then in 1501, a 26-year-old sculptor by Michelangelo was offered to produce something worthwhile on that block of marble. And here's the cool thing. When he began his work, he saw a major flaw near the bottom that had stymied the other two sculptors. And he decided to turn that part of the stone into a broken tree stump that would support the right leg. That's good. He worked on that marble for over four years until he produced David. 17-foot tall statue that's in Florence today where people come from all around the world to look at it. And how did he do it? How did he do it? Well, Michelangelo tells us from back in the day, this is how he did it. In every block of marble I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect in attitude and action. I have only to hew away the rough walls and imprison the lovely image to reveal it to the other eyes as mine see it. Said in more common terms, I cut away everything that didn't look like David. Jesus is chipping away everything in us that doesn't look like Jesus. You see that? He's chipping it away. He's forming us to look like him. And so we jump up on that platform and say, get the chisel out, God. Get the hammer, man, right? Because I want to be like Christ. I want to be a model of his. And so what he begins, he will finish. He's going to finish. Number three, joy is having friendships with believers. This is great. Verse seven and eight. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. And God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Listen to those words. You have a special place in my heart. Verse 8, God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Here's Paul, separated from his friends. He's under house arrest, doesn't know if he'll ever get back to see him again. But he's expressing. So I think there's some value in that with the body of Christ. We need to learn to express our gratitude to one another. When somebody has encouraged you or whatever the case may be, you need to, you need to respond back to them and say thank you, you know? Like Paul here, he, he's, he's a man, you know? He's rugged, he's lived a rough life. And yet he has the freedom and liberty to communicate his appreciation to people. Maybe you say, well, I, that's, that's tough for me. Well, you need to work on that. Because here's, here's the trigger. When we are liberated to tell God how great he is, when we experience the love of God in our lives, we in turn become more expressive. We communicate it more freely to those relationships right in front of us. It starts there and it transfers here. 
So that's what Paul is doing. And um, <laughs> joy is having friendships with believers. John Ortberg, he's a pastor out in California, tells of uh, a thorough research project with relationships. It was headed by George Kaplan. He's a Harvard social scientist. It tracked the lives of 7,000 people over nine years. Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. People who had bad health habits like smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, bad sleep habits, no exercise, but had strong social ties lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. In other words, let's bring it to you and me. It's better to eat Twinkies with good friends <laughs> than to eat broccoli alone. Right? Yeah, man. <laughs> I'm a Twinkie fan, man. I ate my broccoli, but I'll lean towards the Twinkies. <laughs> the Harvard researcher Robert Putman notes that if you belong to no groups but decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year and a half. Do you get the picture why church relationships are so important, friend? God, God is the one that developed that, and he knows human beings need each other. Yes. The body of Christ needs each other. Another study reported the Journal in American Medical Association, 276 volunteers were infected with a virus that produces the common cold. The study found that people with strong emotional connections did four times better fighting off illness than those who were more isolated. These people were less susceptible to colds, had less virus, and produced significantly less mucus than relationally isolated people. They produced less mucus. This means unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people. <laughs> yeah, you run into those snottier people all the time, don't you? For sure. For sure. Uh, so we need, we need to do life with others. And um, I can tell you, there was a time when I was a young man, I, I kind of withdrew because I was angry at God. I, I felt like God had abandoned me and I was feeling sorry for myself and uh, my world shrunk to me and it's not a good place. It's not a good place. And I finally hit the bottom of the barrel and I realized, uh, I said, Lord, let's start this all over again. My attitude's going to be different. Forgive me for feeling sorry for myself and blaming you. And so from that time on, that's when my life began to get traction spiritually, where I kept God first and foremost. And he began to work in my life in very interesting ways that I never thought possible.
So don't become a Lone Ranger. Don't, you know, don't cut your world just to around you. James Knight, um, can going to church make you happier? Here's an article. Not only did churchgoers report higher levels of happiness, it turns out the more involved they were in church activities, the greater the differences in reported happiness. People who consistently but only occasionally participate in church activities were also counted, but the level of increased happiness of occasional churchgoers was somewhat lower than the increased happiness reported by regular churchgoers. Nevertheless, it was still higher than levels of those who didn't participate at all. And I don't know, I, I couldn't, I, I had to show that picture. It kind of gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling, doesn't it? But on the other hand, it kind of gives you a creepy feeling. Because there's, there's, there's nobody there, right? Nothing's going on. <laughs> I have to tell you that when I'm here with you, joy, man, the joy meter goes, boop. you know, how about it? I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Oh, and I'm, I'm grateful for you, you know. And so I, I love, I love my church. I love it. I love it so much. It's going to make me cry. Number four, joy comes from praying for others. Paul couldn't travel, but he could still pray. Sub point one, pray they grow in love. Look at verse nine. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. What Paul is saying is don't stop growing spiritually. That's what he's saying. Don't stop it. Don't hit the pause button. I'm praying that your love will overflow more and more, that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Um, International Quitters Day. Everybody hear about that? Um, January 8th was Quitters Day this year. Uh, It's in the history books already. Quitter's Day is the day on which most people give up their New Year's resolutions. That's a little sad, but not really unexpected. New Year's resolutions are typically not well thought out. A passing fancy of what would be nice. Um, Paul is saying, don't, don't celebrate Quitter's day. Don't quit. Don't even flirt with the idea of quitting following Christ and allowing him to work in you. 
Don't, don't let them, don't do it. Don't go down that road. Keep on growing. Number two, pray they know what's important. Verse 10, for I want you um, to know, I, I, for I want you to understand what's really, what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. So there, notice Paul brings that up again, the day of Christ's return. Let, let's highlight this. For I want you to understand what really matters. What really matters to you right now? What is, what's got your attention? What's, what's taking up most of your time in your mind? Paul is saying we should have the ability to differentiate between right and wrong, good and bad, healthy and dangerous, vital, trivial, and to know what really matters. Matthew 16, 1 through 3, Jesus put it this way. One day the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him. Verse 2, he said, You know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. And I would submit that to all of us. Are we interpreting the signs of the times right now? I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm saying there's a, there's a red flare going off. This world is collapsing around us. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all the ground is sinking sand. We're seeing it right in front of us, right? That's right. And so we should be able to interpret by staying in, the, in God's word. He, he has a way of keeping his people in the know. I got a book for Christmas called Live Not By Lies by Ron Dreer. And he writes, sometimes a stranger who sees deeper and farther than the crowd appears to warn of trouble coming. These stories often end with people disbelieving the prophet and suffering for their blindness. Here, though, is a tale about a people who heard the prophet's warnings, did as he advised, and were ready when the crises struck. He, he talks, he interviewed uh, a lot of uh, people from Czechoslovakia that immigrated to the United States when communism came into uh, Czechoslovakia. And there was a timeline, there were there were signs in the air. And there was a pastor in 1943, he fled Croatia, getting ahead of the Gestapo and settled into Czechoslovakia. And in 1944, the Czech government was in exile. Um, and at that time, Tomislav, this pastor, realized that the Red Army would defeat the Nazis. He realized the, the Nazi army was collapsing in the Eastern Front. And the Czech government made a formal agreement with Stalin guaranteeing that after driving the Nazis out, the Soviets would give the United Nation its freedom again. But Tomislav, this pastor, knew the Soviets' mindset and he knew they were lying. And he warned the church that when the war ended, Czechoslovakia would fall into the rule of a Soviet puppet government. And this pastor dedicated himself to repairing them for persecution. 
Thomas Law correctly foresaw that the communists would try to control the church by subduing the clergy. For another, he understood that the spiritual trials awaiting believers under communism would put them to an extreme test. Now listen to what he says. He preached that only a total life commitment to Christ would enable them to withstand the coming trial. Either you're all in or you're going to get blown away. That's basically what he's saying. If you're all in for God, no problem. He said, give yourselves totally to Christ, throw all your worries and desires on him, and he has a wide back, and you will witness miracles. Paul is writing that um, we need to know what is important. And I think this pastor from Czechoslovakia, he was able to train his people to prepare for suffering, persecution. And they were able to withstand. Um, I know this might make you skirm a little bit in your chairs, but this is reality. I think all of us need to be aware of it. Um, Erwin Lutzer pastored Moody Church in Chicago for 36 years. He, re he wrote this article uh, recently titled, We Will Not Be Silenced. So this is not a moment for timid souls. Boldness comes easily when you are in the presence of those who agree with you. It is difficult when you're standing alone in the midst of people who seek your demise. Boldness is seen most clearly when you have burned the bridge that would have enabled you to retreat to safety. There are two ways culture attempts to intimidate Christians. We see that happening right now in America. One is to criminalize what they say or do, and the other is to shame them. Many Christians will not be talked out of their faith, but they will be mocked out of it. Shame will cause many Christians to retreat into silence. And he goes on to talk about how free speech is going away. In America, we can expect views that differ from those of the thought police will be will be boycotted, shamed, and outed. But we will not be silenced. We will endure the shame, the ridicule, and the penalties. We will be heard, and we pray that the church will speak with one voice. Sub point A, knowing what's important. So we need to gird ourselves in the faith, go all in with Christ. He says, live pure and blameless. Pure. Back in the first century, they didn't have LED lighting in the stores. And so uh, store owners would, would put veneers over uh, items that were to be purchased. And so a person would put, uh, you know, the uh, fabric or the item pottery up to the light outside in the sunlight and it would reveal what if there was a veneer covering it you know or if it was authentic that's what the word pure means pure is living in such a way that your life could be put into the light and there's no secrets or dark spots in it it's pure 
There's integrity. You are who you say you are. Your walk and your talk line up. That's what that word means. The second word Paul uses is blameless, and it means without offense. In other words, a blameless person is free from moral scandal. It means you don't stumble into sin, nor do you cause other people to stumble into sin, which puts a high value on a father and mother that we need to live our lives in a way that would not cause our son or daughter to stumble spiritually. Number two, verse B, live strong until Jesus comes, until the day of Christ's return. And we know, friends, today that um, with the pressures of life, people are leaning into money, to drugs, to alcohol, various means of escapism. And, uh, but God has a plan, not those things, um, to live strong to finish strong. And then three, pray they model Christ. They model Christ. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So being made right with God through Christ enables us to live rightly before him. And um, that fruit of the salvation means the righteousness of God. You know, think about it. He, he extracted all of our sin when we put our faith in him and replaced it with his righteousness. Incredible. The righteousness of God. And so that is the character of Jesus. question is, are we modeling Christ? Huh? Are we living strong? Are we living pure and blameless? Are we aware of our world right now? What's important? Are we being distracted by trivial things instead of eternal things? Eric Barker was a Christian missionary who spent 50 years serving in Portugal in the years leading up to World War II and beyond. And it was a challenging mission field for sure, but it became even more stressful once the war gained a foothold. And at some point, things became so dangerous in Portugal that uh, Eric was advised to get his family out of the country. And so um, he, uh, he got his wife, his eight children on a boat to England along with his sister and her three children. So 13 people getting on that boat, the most treasured possessions that he had in this world, were on that ship and he watched that ship steam out of sight. Uh, his plan was to join his family uh, a week later. Uh, he had some business with the mission organization before he had to go and so so the following Sunday after his family's departure, church was set to go. He received a telegram and he shared it with the congregation. I've just received word that all my family have arrived safely home. And man, the congregation just breathed a sigh of relief. Oh, we're so glad. 
But later they found out what the pastor's words meant. Safely home didn't mean that they arrived in England. But just before the meeting, Baker Barker learned that a German U-boat had torpedoed the ship carrying his family, and there were no survivors. His wife, his eight children, his sister, and her three children were all lost. How would you respond? Barker knew exactly where they were. That's why he said they were safely home with the Lord. Is it possible to have joy in a situation like that? I'm not talking about being phony. No. But the answer is yes. And Eric Barker experienced the grace of God in his life to withstand a blow like that. That is one of the cool things Paul talks about until Jesus comes. There's coming a day when we will be safely home with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's my goal. That's the promise I have. That's where I'm going. I'm headed right now. How about you? Father, thank you this morning for your word. We want to thank you, Lord, that joy remembers the good, that joy recognizes God working in us. Joy is having friendships with fellow believers, and joy comes from praying for others. Yeah. Lord, help us as Life Church to implement these four keys that Paul gave us. Help us, Lord, to pursue you in a world that's falling apart with our eyes fixed on you. So joy, therefore, that's fuel for the fire. Christ living in us. We can walk through this broken world with joy as we model the character of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the promises that you've given to us this morning, that you are coming back. So, Lord, we are trusting you to continue to pour your grace into your people that we can live our lives pointing people to you. You might be here today. You might be watching online. You have not had a relationship with Christ. Maybe you've allowed your relationship to, to wither. Today would be a great day to say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Forgive me, Jesus. You paid for my sin debt in full. I realize I need a Savior to transform my life. And so therefore, Lord, I'm inviting you to become the Savior of my life today. Forgive me and help me live for you all the days of my life through the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.